0: Hey, pull up a chair
1: it's hacks on tap with david axelrod robert gibbs and mike murphy
0: i believe when you use your power the power to vote you're going to change the course of this country for generations to come at home and abroad this election is the most important one you've ever voted in whether it's your first or tenth ladies and gentlemen The heart and soul of this country is at stake. Right here in Florida, it's up to you. You hold the key. If Florida goes blue, it's over. It's over. Look. Press has heard me say this a long time. Wall Street and CEOs didn't build this country. People standing out here in their automobiles, you're the ones that built this country. The middle class built this country. And unions built the middle class. You're the ones who are going to save the country now that you build it. In these final days, keep that sense of empowerment with you, that sense of optimism of what we can do, what we will overcome. I've never been more optimistic about America or the American people than I am today. And on November the 3rd, we're going to unite this country and show the world who we really are riots they're having in France, the people are tired. They can't do it anymore. They can't do it anymore. They're losing their businesses. They're losing their jobs. They go back and the business is closed for nine months. We can't do it anymore. They can't do it. We know the disease. We social distance. We do all of the things that you have to do. If you get close, wear a mask. Always controversial. It's not controversial to me. You get close, you wear a mask. Social distance, social distance. You know the bottom line, though? You're going to get better. You're going to get better. If I can get better, anybody can get better. And I got better fast. They were so happy. They couldn't believe it. That was probably the happiest day that they've had in years.
2: Dueling sound from this afternoon's Florida rallies with both former Vice President Joe Biden and current President Donald Trump. And as we record this, on Thursday, at least 80 million Americans have already cast their vote. Ax, uh,
3: have you voted? I have actually. Yeah, I've uh, I've voted. I've been sweating out the counting of my ballot, uh, which I sent in remotely. It apparently is in the custody of the authorities right now. So I feel, I feel good about. It. But 80 million, 80 million. It's it's remarkable. Hey, you see who I see here too. My I old, see his I see his hat first, and now yeah. I can make him out. You the one and the only, first. Mac the Knife, <laughs> Mark McKinnon, my old buddy. How Good are you? Good to See you, brother. How's how's the road? Private First Class Hackeru checking in for duty. <laughs> how's the road? I
1: I just was in Texas yesterday, so it was I. You know, I look, I look for any excuse to go back to Austin, so that was great. And there was a you know ton going on down there, and you know I, I did a piece a week before about all this all this you know these lawsuits going back and forth about. The, the mail ballots and the drive-through and all that. And it's just it drives me insane that the Republican Party has been so successful in communicating a message that we want fewer people to vote. Um, well, it, has you know, bunch,
3: it doesn't seem to have impacted on people down there. You had 8 million people have voted Just already. the
1: reverse, guys. I think just the reverse. I think Donald Trump, by waving this rigged flag and election fraud, it, it turned out to be the greatest GOTV mechanism for Democrats <laughs> in history. Yeah, uh, so just I,
2: as... As we record this, we're we're sitting at, at in Texas, eight and a half million votes essentially cast already, ninety-four percent of the twenty sixteen turnout.
3: Which overall, and, not just the early turnout. Right, the whole right. Twenty-six
2: percent of the overall turnout in twenty sixteen. Ninety seven
3: percent of the people in Austin registered to vote. Ninety-seven.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's uh so so let's uh, let us maybe we'll start there, uh, Mark. I mean, it is um, Look, By the way,
3: uh, just 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 before you ask him, Robert, yeah. you, you think that's impressive? One hundred and seven percent of the people who uh, registered to vote in Chicago. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it for Murphy because he's Murphy. not here. I had to Murphy. do it for
2: Murphy. I was going to say Murphy usually makes that joke, and and Axe always wants to get ahead of it to sort of contain its uh, impact. No, but uh, Mark, you know, look, I, 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 in 2002, I spent some time in Austin because we were going to turn Texas blue. Uh, that was uh, sadly 18 years ago. And we're yeah. still waiting for that particular. Yeah, nice
3: job there, Gibson.
2: Yeah. Particular hue to come forward. Um, what What do you think makes potentially 2020 different? Could Could this be the year that Texas goes blue in a presidential
1: well, I, you know, I've heard that refrain so many times, Gibbs, including 2002, that I'm, I'm You should a have little told me it
3: wasn't going to happen.
1: <laughs> well, it's a lot you know, different in
3: Texas now, though, isn't it?
1: I, I worked for Ann Richards in 1990. In that election, that you know, there are 28 statewide office holders in Texas. And that year, all 28 were Democrats. Eight years later, after George Bush came to town and just said, I'm a conservative alternative with a compassionate conservative message. And tons of people, including me, said, that's <laughs> what I want to be. That's what I want to do. That's who I'm for. And then all 28 uh, statewide offices have been Republican ever since. So, uh, you know, it, it is a very conservative state, as you know, and um, it, it, which isn't all about ideology. It's about kind of lifestyle and a lot of other things. But I'll tell you what, just I mean, the notion that Biden's polling, even within the margins, is kind of stunning. And it testifies that's you know, something really is. I mean, we know there's a demographic trend going there, but maybe this is just going to speed it all up and, Maybe it's a combination of demographic tide and a, you know, uh, incumbent problem. I'll tell you one thing I was going to ask you guys. If I had asked you back in February, you know, what are the four things you would love to have happen for Democrats and, and what would be the worst possible case for Donald Trump? And you'd say, well, probably four things. One, we elect a centrist, safe, acceptable nominee like Joe Biden. Two, there'd be a, a global pandemic. Three, the president of the United States would get that virus. And four, in the last week of the campaign, he'd be going around to swing states holding rallies where the, the, where the headline of the news in all those places is the virus is spiking, holding rallies where people, a lot of them are not wearing masks and not social distancing. I mean, it's, it's crazy that this, this thing would even be closed. I have to confess, I didn't
3: think about the pandemic thing, uh, McKinnon. You must think we're awfully ghoulish to think <laughs> that we would have dreamed that scenario up. But well, Dick on, Morris thought of that one. I'm sure he did. On <laughs> Texas. On Texas, I mean, what is astonishing is just, I mean, it is the prototype of what's happening in suburban America. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, that is, that's what's driving this. That's what has it in turbocharge. Even if Biden doesn't win uh, Texas, and I think it's a long shot for him to win Texas, these congressional districts that were reliable, Republican congressional districts, a bunch more are going to fall. Well uh, not only that, sure but like
1: but my my colleagues down there are, are are pretty confident that the Texas House is, yes. correct, is a Democrat. They need nine seats. Thing.
3: Yeah. Uh that could turn so did you, you know ever the difference, think, when did you, you ever were down th- there, Gibbs, it was a different state.
2: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And and look, I, I uh I picked a not only did I pick a bad year, but that was also when uh George W. Bush's approval rating was the the same as a wide receiver's Jersey number, uh, in the mid to upper eighties. And and it just wasn't (laughs) altogether a, a good thing to do. Um, but Mark, did you ever, when you watched all those offices flip, you probably thought it'd be a long time if ever before the Texas house went democratic.
1: I wasn't sure that I'd live to see it. Honestly. Uh, like I said, it's just, it's just a very conservative place. And, uh, you know, I think it just, it, it testifies to the, you know, it, it reminds me of what it was like in, in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, when, when things flipped the other way, which is you had a kind of a Democratic Party that had ossified, you know, mm-hmm. and taking things for granted. And, you know, you were either kind of a liberal, you know, progressive Democrat or conservative Democrat, there really wasn't much of a Republican Party. And then Bush came to town with a compelling message. But, that, but now that they've been in office, you know, and held power for almost 30 years, I think the same thing is happening, that people are looking at the Republican Party in Texas going, really, you know, what what have you done for me lately? And and, and plus, it is a changing place. Like I was talking to some British uh, TV earlier today and they were talking about the, the debate and Biden's comments about transitioning from oil and isn't that gonna hurt him in Texas? Actually, Ted Cruz said, hey, we're not all wildcatters in Houston anymore. It's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of Asian immigrants and tech people. And so, you know, Biden may be talking to a whole new audience in Texas.
3: You've got your uh, Stetson on, so just to certify your genuine um, authenticity as someone who could comment on Texas, um, you, what are your buddies uh, saying on the Republican side down there? How, how much of a concern is there, not just about the presidential race, but about all these other things? Are they worried about Cornyn at all? Yeah, uh, you know, I, they think he's going to be okay. I just talked to MJ Hager
1: yesterday, who's who's really impressive. You know, she's mm-hmm. he's, her, he's her, her story playing, is just stunning. Yeah. You know, her veteran story is just. I mean, she, you know, she and Amelia Earhart and you know, like two or three others have women have won the 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 kind of uh, medals that she's won
3: for her valor in combat. Well, I hope um, it ends up better for her than Amelia Earhart, but It's anyway. <laughs> <But laughs> pretty easy to get lost in, in Texas.
1: There. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, Cornyn's from Central Casting. I mean, he's you know he he he, he looks like a senator. He sounds like a senator. And he, you know, this is he's not Ted Cruz. I mean, there are actually other members of the Senate that like him. Uh, so I, you know, I think Biden's Biden does a stretch. The Senate, I think, would be you know even even tougher. Uh, so I, and plus, you know, as, as she said to me herself, she said. I think Texas is going to go purple before it goes blue. And I, th- I think mm-hmm. she's right about that. And the other thing that they changed in the laws now is they don't have straight ticket voting, which could actually help Republicans if you think about it. Cause you could, could have people saying, eh, I'm not so sure about Trump anymore, but then could kind of return to form down ballot.
2: And, you know, I, I think even if you don't see this happen in Texas, I, I do think you're going to watch that suburbanization of, of the vote here happen. I, I know Ax, you've talked about this before I have too, It would not surprise me in the least to watch Georgia, uh, a state that was closer in 2016 than either Ohio or Iowa, and demographically a lot better than either of those two states. It wouldn't shock me at all to watch Georgia go blue. Um, There's a little bit better history or more recent history of it um, being such in in a presidential race in in 1992. Um, But – you know, I, I think it will be interesting to watch in this last few days and then afterwards when the dust settles, how much of this demographic change has really brought about and and, and hastened uh, some of this electoral change.
3: Well, look, think about the states we're talking about, Georgia, uh, Arizona, you right. know, uh, where they're there tomorrow. Uh, which I think is very much in in play in this election, the fact that we're even talking about Texas. I mean, Trump carried it by nine points last time, and everybody thought that was a stunningly close margin. Right. Uh, And now we're talking about an even closer race, and we're talking about, I mean, this volcanic sort of change in in suburban uh, areas in Texas. Um, And it does sort of, you can glimpse the future. I mean, uh, Mark, smart Republicans have to look at this and say, we've got a problem here uh, because the tide is not flowing our way. And if we keep doing what we're doing, uh, this this thing's going to close on us.
1: Well, but part of the problem for Donald Trump and the Republican Party is that, that he ignored a lot of the work that a lot of people did right after 2012. You guys probably remember that there was that the autopsy. autopsy that was, yeah. yeah. Which had, you know, was really smart and really, you know, put forward a a, uh, a plan for the future about how to ex- how to expand expand the map and to minorities
3: get, to women. The, yes, to, of yeah. course.
1: And instead, you know, Donald Trump flipped the flipped the script and decided he'd try and get more people from a from a diminishing demographic. Uh, and he's trying to double down on that again, and so it's going to it's going to be a ton of work for the Repu- for Republicans to. I mean, it's kind of like what Pete Wilson did in California. It's just going to take a long time to fix
3: with opera- uh, with uh, Proposition One Eighty Seven there, the anti immigration uh, thing there. Well, you know, uh, you talk about th- this is one of the conundrums for Trump right now. You you talk about the the constituency that he's depending on, and he, it's a shrunken constituency. Uh, part of it, it involves older voters, and uh, you know one thing this virus has done because he's been so casual about discarding the old folks and saying sayonara. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, th- there is a real reaction to that, and you can see it uh, in the numbers. I mean, he is he won seniors by eight nine points last time. He is trailing uh, now in many. Overall, he's trailing. He's trailing in many places. Obviously, a problem in a state like Florida, uh, which is why they're both both down at the villages. You know,
2: yeah. I mean, I was struck uh, in in the exit poll in Florida in 2016, Donald Trump won seniors by 17 points. Uh, In the latest NBC News Marist poll, Biden leads that same group by seven. Uh, and so, you know, a, 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 there are a lot of demographic groups that I think will spend time pouring over post this election. But it undoubtedly, whether it acts as you said, Arizona, uh, Florida, true and certainly in Pennsylvania uh, and, and all over uh, the Sun Belt, as these people have seniors have come to retire in places that are a lot warmer, you uh, This this is the demographic that is making so many of these places so much more competitive and to some degree might well be the gap that puts Joe Biden uh, over the top uh, on uh, on Tuesday.
3: Yeah, well, Biden was always, you know, one of his strengths in the primaries. And, you know, that was a kind of a shaky enterprise for a while. The thing that kept him in it were seniors, uh, obviously, ultimately African-Americans. And that was an older vote. But seniors. Uh, and he's done well with seniors. So the combination of Trump uh, and the virus and his handling of the virus and Biden's natural, and maybe it's, you know, let's face it, I mean, Biden is an older guy, but on this issue of uh, the the other category, though, is 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 race. Now, I was stunned. The CNN had a poll yesterday, and it, it may be too uh, optimistic from a Biden standpoint, 12 points, um, but among whites, you guys, 50-48 Trump. Fifty forty eight. Now Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton by twenty points among white voters. No one's gotten in the upper forties. I think uh, Bill Clinton may have in one election gotten uh, against a Republican. Um, that is a stunning number, and you know that is a that may be a. It, I guess the question is how much can Democrats can uh, you know count on that in the future? You talk about challenges for the Republican Party challenges for the Democratic Party is in the transition in the in the metamorphosis of the country uh, demographically, there's going to be this period where, you know, you're going to have to get your share of white voters. The reason Biden was a strong general election candidate is he's got to reach into he's comfortable for moderate suburban voters. He has a cultural link to non-college white voters that will hold Trump's margin down. These non-college white women are, are you know, Trump may beat him only by senior uh, s- single digits with these voters. He beat Hillary Clinton by twenty-seven points with those white non-college women. Uh, so Biden has, you know, a, a particular appeal. I just want to be even-handed about this. Democrats have things to think about too, in uh, you know, at least in the near term, about not doing what they did in two thousand and sixteen and writing off that constituency. Uh, so Biden was uniquely suited for this moment.
1: Yeah, and it, it, I, you know, I've, I've been thinking in the last couple of days about just how much weight of hope, anticipation. You, you did, I mean, just think of think of all that's in that backpack on that old broken back of Joe Biden in the Democratic Party. What what he has carried up this mountain like Sisyphus, you know, is really remarkable. To think that you know, as 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 damaged a psyche uh, uh, as the, as the democratic party has been since 2016, that they just, everything, so much is
3: loaded on Joe Biden and he may do it.
1: He looks like he's going to do it.
3: Yeah. Sisyphus actually for Sisyphus rolled that boulder up the hill and it it fell down again. So he'd probably (laughs) like not to be Sisyphus. Ulysses, like Ulysses. (laughs) Yeah. We're hoping that, uh, yeah, but we're hoping um, that Tuesday gets here before the boulder. (laughs) He, uh, I can't stress how much this virus has, you know, played to his advantage uh, in this election in so many different ways. Uh, But, you know, people are looking for solidity, for comfort, for empathy, for connection, for, um, you know, uh, calm and And he is. I mean, he's the one candidate that you can
1: imagine where something happens that drives him to his basement becomes an advantage.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Well, that became an advantage. That will be picked over. You know, the thing is, uh, and we'll see what happens Tuesday, because we ought to allow somewhere in this conversation for the fact that the unexpected could happen just in case the unexpected happens. Uh, I was going to bring that up. (laughs) But the. (laughs) Conventional
1: wisdom is often wrong, fellas.
3: (laughs) Yes, yeah, sure. Everybody's got PTSD. I, I know that. Um, but if Biden wins, if he wins, you're never as smart as you look when you win and you're never as dumb as you look when you lose a lot. Some of, he is the right man in the right place at the right time. And this basement strategy, so-called wasn't a strategy. It was a necessity. You know, they were worried about him being exposed to the virus as an older person. What made it work was Donald Trump, because when he left the stage, Trump filled it completely and he filled it to his own disadvantage. Those six weeks of those press conferences where he just killed himself. <laughs> and so that made it all yeah. pay off. That's not to say, and Gibbs, I got to get this one thing in here. Our old buddy, Jen O'Malley Dillon, who uh, took over the Biden campaign after the primary. The Biden campaign was a rickety ship at the time. They hadn't raised any money. Primary was kind of a, a, a shambling affair. And she has, this has been a really well-conceived and well-run campaign. And she's done it with, uh, you know, the inability to get together. She had to do it all remotely. She didn't really have a relationship with the candidate. The candidate has a very insular team. Uh, And it is extraordinary, really, what they've accomplished. And whatever happens on Tuesday, uh, she has done an extraordinary job.
2: I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think she's uh she's whipped that place into shape. I think we all heard you know, we all understood sort of what what that campaign was like, certainly in the 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 tougher days of the primary, but even as it emerged, look, I'm also struck, you know, by you know some of the things we used to talk about acts with Obama and that is, you know, you don't pick the moment, the moment picks you. And I really do think that, to your point, and Mark as well, I mean, this has been been a moment that Biden fits really, really well into. And you couldn't have thought a year ago, here are the things you need to do because this is going to happen. And that's the interesting thing about particularly presidential politics is there's a lot of candidates on paper a year ago or 18 months ago that look – quote unquote unbeatable. There's a lot of there's a there's a there's a whole list of presidents that never were uh that shaved every morning in in and uh looked in the mirror and saw the next president. Um and, and I think he's really met that moment. Also, you know, and I've said this a few times, he deserves an enormous amount of credit. His closing argument is actually was actually his opening argument. And and that's yeah. really hard to do in modern yeah. politics because yeah. Not only do you enter, not only do you change and, and your polling says you need to change, but the events change. And that requires you to, to shift this. You guys know this. You guys for him to do that is just, I, it's really kudos to him and to his team for understanding what the moment. uh, Well, yeah.
3: I mean, I I couldn't agree with you. McKinnon, you know, this because you had to keep this train on the track. You know what it's like to keep a message on track. In a campaign, you're going 200 miles an hour, there are a million opportunities to spin off the track. And And there's so much
1: pressure to go off the track from constituencies and people who think you're fucking up and you're down in the polls. And it's like, oh, you got to change strategy. You got to change message. Right.
2: County chairman online, too, McKenna. And we
1: we said in 2004, you know, we said that, listen, this may not be the perfect strategy, but we're going to stick with it. And, you know, a a flawed strategy perfectly executed is better than a strategy that changes every week to the moment.
3: Which is one of Trump's problems because everything is kind of ad-libbed and impulsive and you know had they got had they no they could still win i'm going to keep saying it but had he been on a consistent message and probably the best one for him would have been to attack uh you know, a more traditional Republican message around taxes and well, also, I mean, he had a great, he had pretty good message in the last
1: debate where he was really framing Biden as well. You had your chance; you didn't do it, you know. Yeah,
3: that's another element. I of thought it. that was pretty he,
1: effective, and Biden didn't come back very well on
3: it. But he just he's indulging himself out there with these rallies. Uh, well, and the clip you played like, today was all about the virus. That's the last thing he wants to be talking about or should be talking about. Yeah, I mean, well, what about these rallies, man? Traditionally, Robert, you know, we would. We did, a, we did rally after rally after rally. It connotes excitement. It co- connotes energy. But in this environment, is it a mixed bag?
1: It's, 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 it's worse than a mixed bag, David. I saw some polling on this today, and it's, it is much more uh, than a majority of voters. I saw like that. in the 60%, 70% range of people who think that, that it's a bad
3: idea. It's irresponsible. You know, yeah.
1: and I was trying to say, you know, who's the undecided voter that, looks, that you know, either says, oh, I've, I've never been to a rally, I'm going to go to one now, or, yes. or or, or you know, seasons yeah. Is, oh yeah i think i'm gonna vote for Donald yeah. trump now because of a rally yeah,
2: yeah. well I, look i think they may make uh they make may make people like us all feel better that last week when there's at least something to do and somewhere to go and look i i look i, I think probably like all democrats and, and maybe even republicans if they were in this place i mean i, I you do get worried that there is a field component to a good rally right you're you're gathering information yes. you're giving yeah. out sort of like hey great you want to knock on doors Give the on something to do yeah absolutely um and so there is that neck you know that natural kind of consternation that with that not happening and with it happening on the other side there's that nervousness of gosh shouldn't we be doing what they're doing and there's a lot of hand wringing about it going on right yeah, now yeah there's there's there is limited door knocking i know going on uh in places like north carolina and pennsylvania which is good uh on the democratic side it's 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 done you know in a very uh coordinated way but uh I, you know we all wished we had politics that was normal we all wish we had a lot that was more normal uh, but I think the the Biden campaign has figured out how to do this as well as they could in a world that's nobody
3: could have prepared for. I mean, I, I agree with this. I look. I think the biggest thing is, yeah, they're setting a good example, and that's good from a message standpoint. I also think you want to keep the freaking candidate <laughs> healthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't never want a bad to thing. Take the risks that Trump took the, the to me the biggest threat to Biden between now and election day might be that intervening health event you know Absolutely. so i think that has to be part of their consideration as well
1: And should be you don't want to literally
3: kill the candidate that's always bad you know whenever we have strategy, whenever we have <laughs> a strategy <laughs> meetings we always start with that let's not kill the candidate you no, know, but it,
2: it, it, going back to one point that that was made. I mean, I think one of the things when you listed off those four things, McKinnon, of of you know, could you have imagined in February? Axe said this. I mean, I I would not have thought the Trump campaign would run as undisciplined a campaign. That there, there there still isn't a cohesive, coherent, consistent negative Biden frame that you hear each and every day. And 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 I think part of that is, is Trump looks at rallies and Trump looks at press conferences as a moment of of entertaining those that have come to watch. But I'm really shocked that they never took any natural advantage of being a, the candidate most likely to rebuild the economy. Yeah. They the just a, a really a dozens and dozens of opportunities even in the face of an unpredictable global pandemic that they just never seized on to run as strong a campaign as I would have thought they could.
3: Because these things expose who you are. And Donald Trump approached the virus as he's approached everything else in his life, not as a problem to solve, but as a thing to spin. And he thought that he could spin it. And he's still trying to spin it six, five days before this election, with the numbers going through the roof. Coming around the corner. Yeah, we're coming around the right corner off the cliff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, except there's a brick wall right in front of you, so be a little careful there. No, I mean, you know, but I will say this. We say who could, you know, um who could have predicted that Biden would be a this kind of a challenging candidate for Trump? I'll tell you who who predicted it. Donald Trump. Because yes. Donald Trump bought himself an impeachment trying to stop Biden. There's a reason he went to
1: Ukraine for dirt.
3: Of course, and, and and the reason is that he saw Biden as this culturally inconvenient candidate who would be difficult for him to demonize and paint as a left wing radical. And he thought he was a, he thought he wasn't going to be uh, a, a a good foil for his politics. And he's it turns out he in addition to the strengths that Biden has in the midst of a pandemic, in addition to how poorly Trump has handled the pandemic. Uh, there's also that, that, you know, and, and Trump recognized it, uh, and he recognized it probably before m- a lot of people. I
2: don't disagree. I still think you could have figured out a frame, you know, I still think you could have figured out a, okay, so he's not an AOC liberal. You could have said, well, he, but he still is, you know, if you look back at him, tax and spend, if you look no, back no, at, no, you
3: know, hundred percent, no, Robert, I'm not, I'm not yeah. suggesting, uh, otherwise, um, I'm just saying that there were strengths there a lot of the, a lot of the reasons Joe Biden had a problem in the primary uh, make him a good general election absolutely candidate uh, absolutely but, so what about this he could lose thing I mean we should really address it because right I was
2: gonna you know mark you you're you're in all these states you're in an Arizona you're in you're in Texas you're in you know he's got to run all these you got to win all of them. But wh- where do you see in the places that you've either been or you look at where does where does Trump gain some traction and make this at least um, a week long affair?
1: Well, let me start the other way around, which is, you know, I, I remember very clearly because I give her a hard time about it all the time being with Jen Palmieri and Hillary Clinton. Like two to, in, in in Arizona, right before the election, yeah, which was and scary. I remember thinking, why are we in Arizona? you know and they were they were trying to run up the score and um you know, and neglecting Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, and so don't even get me started uh, <laughs> but I do think that Arizona is really in play this time, and I think yeah. uh, I think that it's a and I think it needs to be in play for Biden because I think he needs that insurance because I still worry like hell about Pennsylvania. And, and that's where I think uh, Trump could still win. I think people are pinning a lot of hopes on Democrats winning that. And I still think he's got a shot there. And if he wins Pennsylvania, then they get they got to have a back backup plan. And I think Arizona's part of that backup plan.
3: Yeah, only yeah. part because Pennsylvania's 20 electoral votes right. and Arizona's uh, 11. I agree of the three, Michigan, Wisconsin, and uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is the one that creates the most, uh, anxiety, but you know, I, I mean, I I'm looking at polling from there constantly, and um, uh, you know, he's running well ahead of where where Hillary was throughout the state. I mean, wherever whatever the baseline was, Biden seems to be running six to twelve points uh, ahead of her. The other thing was there was this poll the other day. I may have talked about it uh, earlier in the week, but it was reaffirmed in uh, some of the, I think the New York Times polling from, uh, or the Post polling from Michigan and Wisconsin. But the people who voted third party last time who really flipped the thing to Trump, they're two to one for uh, Biden. Uh, People who didn't vote last time, you know, two to one for Biden. Um, So these pockets of vote that uh, really sunk Hillary Clinton are consolidating in much larger numbers around Biden, but you know there are a lot of unknowns here. You know about who sh- who actually who, you know shows up on Tuesday and uh,
1: and you know I talked to Carl uh, Rove about you know some of the registration numbers of the Republicans and and in some key places like Florida and Pennsylvania they've had some pretty good registration efforts. That, they that, have, that although the numbers
3: rough. are not. First of all, there are there there are conversions. Of people from Democrat to Republican that are included in there, and those are people who voted for Trump and are just now, kind of conforming their yeah. party registration to that, uh, and um, uh, and then the, the the next issue, like in in Florida, is um, there have been a lot of registrations, no party affiliation, and there is some reason to believe that those numbers are skew more Democrat in their leanings. Than yeah. uh, Republicans. So, I mean, I don't want to alibi. The, the Democrats did a shit job. Uh. No, I just
1: say, yes, how he could win. It could be the, the, these new registrations. It could be, you know, that they, they actually do have, you know, great Cuban support in Miami and wind up winning Florida. Yes. They actually do turn out a bunch of non college white voters that didn't vote last time. I, you know, it's skeptical to see how they can get much more of those, but maybe they do.
3: Well, there are a lot of them who are sitting on the sidelines. But in Florida, I think that, you know, the truth is, the Trump campaign—the one thing that they have done well in the last four years is they have done this sort of microscopic, sort of micro-targeting uh, effort with segments of the black community, young black men, with the Hispanic community, uh, and Biden is running a little bit behind. In and in Florida, you have the complication of the Cuban community that Trump has worked very, very hard, uh, and so there is some nervousness about in Florida. About whether you know that diversity, uh, you know, actually hurts in you know uh, in in ways that uh, are, are unexpected. That Biden won't hit his mark, and he can't make it up somewhere else. That is the scenario. That's actually how Scott and uh, uh, and the governor won DeSantis, in uh, right. two thousand. Well, and I, and, I,
2: ironically, you know, we we could be. We could sit here after Election Day and and see that Biden actually did better with with whites, but lost it in as you guys have talked about African Americans uh, and and Hispanic voters uh, in a way that flips. But you know, t- to build off of our, that original question mark, if if Trump holds Florida and wins again or, and and also holds Pennsylvania, you, you're you're on to some some turf that is a bit more Republican. Because then you're holding, nor- you you got to hold North Carolina, you got to right. hold Arizona, um, yep. you obviously have to hold the Iowas and the Ohio's, uh, but all of a sudden that becomes a, a much much closer ball game uh, for for I, I'm going to call it election week because that's going <laughs> to transpire over into days and days, not just hours and hours. Yeah, that would suck.
1: You know, I talked to Ben Ginsburg who you guys know is yeah. a long-time Republican, Republican lawyer, election, lawyer. election yeah. law guy. Yeah, and I kind of went through all these scenarios with him, and and we talked about, you know, but he, he, he painted different scenarios. And the, the, Pennsylvania is obviously the problematic one because uh, we, we don't need to go through all the litigation that's happened there. But the reality is that, and the good thing actually is that, that Amy, uh, Amy uh, Coney, Coney Barrett, Barrett. accused recused herself this week from a couple of key decisions that are going to allow them to count the votes in Pennsylvania after the election which they should
3: yeah but uh, it could set up litigation yes. after the election they're going to segregate those ballots
2: well and the Supreme Court said that
3: Yeah. right
1: so that that's that's you know that's if Pennsylvania becomes the key and and we don't know that's that that gets us into it McKinnon much is having he's having yeah. 2,000 flashbacks uh, here yeah well but, the, but, the, rightfully but the thing so. That she, The thing that uh, this is so obvious to to you guys and most of the listeners as well.
3: But I said, Ben, what's what's the flip side of that scenario? He said Florida early for Biden and it's over. Yeah, that is it. I mean, I think a lot is I think whether we have a long twilight struggle here uh, and legal battle or whether the uh, we have an early night, relatively early night, uh, depends on on Florida. How you feel yep. about that, McKinnon? It's Florida again. <laughs> Florida, Florida, Florida. Tim yeah, Russert. It's, yeah, uh, and uh,
1: but I, but I, I but I think it's possible, and uh, you know, I, I mean, yeah, you, know, you know, for just the sake of the sanity of everybody, it would be it'd be great to have a clear and decisive victory. Uh, yeah. in Florida, Florida would do that.
3: Yeah, yeah. I just you know, um, <laughs> I I just think the whole change in the way we're voting uh has made it a little bit more difficult to divine what's it going is. on there if
1: i could just ring the my colorado bell just one time to just to, for all the people who think that the mail system's all screwed up and it's not the re- good way to do this colorado's been voting by mail for seven years now 98 percent of voters in colorado vote by mail the conservative heritage foundation did a study of of those 16 million votes and tried to find fraud, and they found nine cases out of 16 Aha. million. <laughs> proving the point. We should have a presidential commission to look into this.
2: Uh, yeah, but let's you know, let's talk a little bit about um, election night because we 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 intimated sort of what does it look like, and I think maybe walking walking folks through, you know, how this thing could go and 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 what they're going to see. I mean, they're, we're going to start off with, you know. Georgia is going to close at seven o'clock eastern, North Carolina and Ohio at seven thirty. uh Florida is has got two time zones, right? The bulk of the state's going to close at seven eastern, the panhandle at eight. And you know in in all of those states, um all four of those states, plus Ohio, well, I mentioned Ohio, in all those states, um, they they count those early votes. In the beginning, and, and they count them before election day, so you're going to see that vote moved about an hour or so after these polls close. You'll see that come up on the boards everywhere, and that and and think show early advantage for Democrats, right? Absolutely, yeah. you're going to see a, a probably some kind of some larger range. numbers, <laughs> exactly. Right, you, you you'll see some larger numbers. My guess is with Florida closing, that Panhandle closing at eight. Let's suppose they. That we start to see the broader numbers around, say, eight thirty, and then Florida starts to the the election day turnout starts to trickle in. I got to assume that by nine thirty or ten o'clock Eastern Time, we're going to get a sense of kind of where this Florida thing is going.
3: Well, I think that you're going to look at counties is what you're going to do, and yep. if you see uh, trends where you know the. The, the Obama counties that voted for Trump have be have flipped back for example uh, if you see massive numbers you know uh, Broward County uh, it, it, apparently the turnout is just astronomical that could be a real uh, that could that could be a tell the numbers that come in front I mean there there will be clues there will be uh, Peach County in Georgia there will be clues of uh, places that are or Bellwether counties that we will be able to that we will be able to watch. But I think it's important that people understand that when they dump the early vote in, Biden will have a lead. And uh that lead will be whittled away uh in in you know to some degree if, uh, during the night. And so, you know, get a get a grip on your emotions, gang.
2: Well, and the flip side of this is right the, the three states that we've all been conditioned to think about this race through, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, with, with, with some small exceptions in Michigan in which they can start to look at that early vote the day before the election, all three of those states are going to see that election day vote put up first. And some so of just- that.
1: Just the reverse will happen.
2: Yeah, the early that early absentee vote is going to start to trickle in because legally they can't look at it. In fact, you had a county last night in in Pennsylvania, Cumberland County, uh, right outside of um, uh, not far from York, Pennsylvania, uh, sort of center of the state, and they put out a press release that said they're not counting early or mail in absentee votes until they're not starting until 9 a.m. on Wednesday to count those votes. And so the one thing just as people you know are thinking through this, if this thing doesn't, we're going to, again, have that 9, 30, 10 o'clock look at sort of where we think things are going. And we may have a good sense of whether it's going to be a, a really late night or we're going to have a really good sense of whether this thing is going to go a week. Yeah. Because – Pennsylvania accepts currently ballots postmarked, but not received until three days after that's again up for it's been litigated a couple times in front of the Supreme court, Michigan secretary of state has said it could be the weekend before they have results could be early the next week before Pennsylvania has a good sense. Um, you know, so there's a couple of different paths here where we may have a better sense you know, five hours after the polls close in most places. And it may be five days.
3: Yeah. I am told that, uh, in Allegheny County, uh, around Pittsburgh, uh, they have equipment that is high speed counting equipment. They believe they're going to be able to turn these ballots around very quickly. Uh, so we may have some indication from Allegheny, uh, which is a big County and, 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 and if, if, uh, You know, if Biden's margin is wider than Hillary's, um, that would be a bit of a tell. Uh, So I think we'll have clues. We will have clues, but it it would be a lot less complicated if, uh, if Biden were to win Florida, then you'd know. If Trump wins Florida, it could signal, as I said earlier, this long twilight. Struggle. Yes. You didn't mention North Carolina, though, Robert, your your old uh, stomping grounds.
2: I definitely think North Carolina is going to be one of those places, too, that um, you're going to see that, again, start to come in probably, polls close there, 7.30 uh, Eastern time. Um, I think you'll see, again, about an hour after that, you'll see that come in. I, I think that could be an, also an early tell. Interestingly, they
3: also start counting... Uh, they, can, they, they can day. extend beyond, but they've also they they also count in advance of yep. Election Day. So we should get a pretty good read on uh, on North Absolutely. Carolina.
2: North. And, and look, as we've talked about, you know, if any one of these places goes, it's likely over. Right. If a North Carolina falls, particularly if a Georgia falls, you know, yeah. but if, if Florida, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and I think that next wave of of stuff we've got you know, nine o'clock Eastern. You've got Wisconsin closing, uh, Arizona closes. I think it'll be interesting to see Arizona. You you you. Well, that's a think- state
3: that's going to have their count. They're like Florida.
2: Well, it, but remember, in 2018, it took a while to get because the Senate it was race so close.
3: Out. I mean, if it's a right. if it's a if it's really really close, uh, then oh. it'll be problematic. Hey, be, before Are you we predicting
2: out- a blowout in Arizona, I just wanted to get that on the record. Before uh, we...
3: you know, I spend a little time in Arizona. <laughs> I'm not no, I'm not predicting that. But I mean, it, you know, there's a difference between razor thin and uh, totally. So we'll see. I mean, I'm going to be watching Maricopa County. Trump, uh, you know, that's 60% of the vote there. Trump won by three points uh, uh, four years ago. If Biden wins the county, um, I think that'll be a, 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 a tell uh, about where this whole thing might go. I'm hearing, what are you guys hearing about the Senate before we go, before we go out? I don't want to leave that because I'll tell you something. I don't know if Biden, Biden wins the presidency but doesn't win the Senate. I would very Life much is not cons- nearly as I would very much consider <laughs> um accepting the honor on election night and then resigning the day after the election and <laughs> handing it to vice president elect uh Kamala uh Harris.
1: Here's a a uh a breaking news uh, item Ooh, that
3: testifies that. to ju- to
1: just to just how difficult Republican senators are feeling and squeezed. Colorado has an incumbent Republican Cory Gardner running,
0: who who just
1: tweeted out the following quote, I disagree with anyone who says we're rounding the bed, Cory Gardner in a difficult race says on Fox about COVID. Yeah. So at the last moment, trying to get a little distance from the boss.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's a little late for that. Yeah. I I think that one is uh, too late for for there used to be a, uh, there was a a late uh, colorful and, Corrupt uh, Secretary of State and Speaker of the House in Illinois, named Paul Powell, and when they were putting a legislative deal together, at the end he would say, "I can smell the meat of cooking." I think the meat <laughs> the meat is a cooking in Colorado on that Senate race. But the question is about others. Um, you know, Kelly, uh, I think will probably win in Arizona. I think Teresa Greenfield's got a real shot. Well, that is, but it's a little more marginal in Iowa. Uh, You know, uh, Susan Collins is running, you know, she's hanging in there, but they have that rank order thing where there are three candidates. And then if if your candidate isn't in the final two, then they take your second choice. And it's hard to believe that the incumbent is going to be the second choice of the third party independent candidate. So she could uh, she could lose on the strength of that second choice thing. But, you know, North Carolina and Iowa, those those races are. Uh, may determine the, the Senate. I think you'd have to believe
2: today Democrats are um, a somewhat slight favorite, but a favorite to control the Senate. I think the challenge is once you get past the the races that we mentioned, even into Iowa, You know, the, the question is what happens? I don't think you add many after that because then you're starting to get into states where you're going to have to find Trump Bullock voters in Montana. Now, I believe there can be some, and I think that one will be really close. But you know, do do you in in a place like South Carolina, are there enough Trump-Harrison voters to beat Lindsey Graham? Are there enough? And look, I think we just live in a world where there are so few split-ticket voters these days. There'll be more
3: Trump-Harrison voters, I suspect, than Trump. Bullock voters, I mean, maybe not. But I mean, you know, the, Lindsey Graham, there is a history with some of these Trump voters who are still pissed that he was, before he jumped, jumped into Trump's lap, that he was, uh, uh, you know, he was Certainly gnawing on Trump's, uh, Trump's ankles.
2: I just think the challenge for 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 the Dem- for the Democrats in the Senate, once you get past, again, those maybe five to six races yeah. that we talked about, is you're going to have to do what, what that didn't happen in any race in 2016 in the Senate, which is have a Senate candidate of a different party than the person who won the presidential vote in that yeah, state. I agree. And that's where I think life gets uh, much, much, much harder.
3: I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, that's a problem for, I mean, there's that you talk about anxiety. I think that's that's legitimate anxiety right now because they don't have that big a margin. They've got a lot of opportunities, but it's not clear how many of them are real. Yeah. And so, you know, Iowa, North Carolina, People can be watching those races closely uh on election night. Absolutely. Is it that
2: time, Axe? Mark, our question for you comes from Dean. He said, assuming Trump loses next week, uh, what are the chances he runs again in twenty twenty-four? Uh and if he doesn't run, would he be the kingmaker? Uh and, and that we'll all be talking about in in the Republican primary what what is what is the post Trump world look like for Republicans
1: uh, Reading my mail it's a great question In fact I wrote a column about this recently I mean first of all to your point I mean tr- if Trump may lose but he's not gonna lose that coalition uh, and um, they're gonna be just as wedded to him as they have been the last four years uh, and so the question is what happens to that coalition and and the, my column I wrote uh, was that, you know, there's all this talk about, you know, it'll be a Don Jr. or a Vaca or, you know, name your other Republicans, Nikki right. Haley, Ted Tom Cruz, Tom, Tom Cotton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think to me, I, I, I think I, if I had to bet money, I better be Donald Trump coming back for revenge. I mean, he doesn't want to he's he thinks he's the only he's not going to think anybody else can handle his coalition the way he did. And that uh, I mean, anybody else would be sloppy, sloppy seconds in his in his view. And he's going to be mad. And no, he's going to listen. Serve he's he's the-
3: going to be 78 years old. No one's going to elect a 78-year-old president. <laughs> <laughs> that's an, good that's point. insane. That's, of that's course insane. what
1: was I thinking. What was I thinking? Yeah. Uh, so that's that, that, I think there's a very good chance of that happening if he's not, you know, locked up somewhere. Well, which, that's which, an which,
3: issue, isn't it? Well, it is
1: an issue. And uh, that's the part of the reason he doesn't want to leave the presidency. So he's <laughs> going to have to face some some legal issues, but um but here here are my two other this is what I put in the category of the wild-ass forecasts that, that, that you make and everybody forgets because they almost never happen. But when they do, four years from now, people say, remember when McKinnon on this podcast said that Trump will run for re-election or the nominee will be Tucker Carlson or Dan Crenshaw?
3: There you Whoa. go. There you go.
2: Wow. You got to wear a hat like that to make a prediction. That <laughs> yeah, man. He's got the hat and the cattle.
1: Four years from now, I'm going to dial that back up for you guys.
2: All right. Yeah, we'll keep the tape. (laughs) One of two things will be true. Either you'll be reminding us and everybody about what you said, (laughs) or we'll be reminding you, Mark.
3: Yeah. But rest assured, Uh. we will have this conversation one way or the other. (laughs) Oh, goodness. That's a good one. All right, David.
2: Yes. I'm pretty sure you didn't write this question in, but we're giving it to you. I always
3: like to get the one from David. I always get the question from Uh, David. uh,
2: so it's a, a tell with everybody's emailing questions. Sign them off, David, and they're more likely to right. be picked. And start How with, freak- I'm a big admirer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. How freaked out should we be – uh about the received but not returned mail-in ballots, Republicans seem to have a higher rate of sending them in. Is this just because people are tossing the mail and voting in
3: person? You know, it's funny you should ask that because I had a conversation with a prominent Republican today who took heart in the fact that uh, there were two hundred thousand um, Democrats in in uh, in Pennsylvania who had not yet returned their ballots and there's a complicated procedure that they would have to go through if they want to invalidate their ballot and vote on election day. So, uh, that was um uh so there was a concern about uh, or there was a glimmer of hope on the part of the Republicans in that regard. Um you know, in most states I think that if you uh you can go in and and vote if you haven't returned your ballot. The big concern is the ballots that were sent where people think that they have voted and they're received after election day. And as we turned out, those could become, uh, the, uh, object of, uh, or the subject of litigation after because of the aggressive posture that the Republicans apparently uh, are, are willing to take. Um, I, I don't think this is going to be the margin of difference in the election. Uh, but especially with the volume of voting that we see, uh, but, uh, but it's a legitimate it's a legitimate question. And uh, one thing that this is this election is going to do and the economy itself may be uh, slow to recover, but the legal profession is going to do pretty well in the period after this election, because a lot of lawyers are going to be engaged um, in uh, fighting uh, all these issues out. If, in fact, um, the election is uh, is still up in the air after uh, after Tuesday. We should certainly tell every listener, if
2: you've got a mail-in ballot now, don't put it in the post office. Fill it out and take it to election headquarters if you can. Take it to a drop box. Don't, uh, at this point in the election calendar, don't dump it in the mail. Uh, it uh, Unless you're in a state that you know those votes are counted postmarked, but counted post-November 3rd.
3: So, Robert, Leo a friend from across the pond, a devoted British hackeru. He says we're on global. the other side of the pond. Uh, w- yes, we are. What do you recommend as the best U.S. election beer snack combo to keep me going here in we st- in the in the wee hour in the wee small hours, or at least until they call Florida?
2: <laughs> to all our listeners, pace yourself. Right don't don't open up something to start drinking at like eight o'clock at night because. Uh, uh, you, you want to be coherent by the time this thing gets around and you get to understand stuff, but, uh, look, uh, an, a, a nice beer, uh, some nachos, uh, maybe a little popcorn, some finger food. So you don't like load up on stuff because, uh, and, and I think I'm going to have, uh, a pretty hefty pot of coffee brewing for, uh, for how long this is going to take, because, uh, I think it's going to go a while. And, uh, Uh, so my, my biggest thing is pace yourself, uh, get some finger foods and, uh, uh, pace yourself.
3: You know what? I think that's complete bullshit. We have to stay uh, (laughs) alert and awake and, uh, uh, drink caffeine and so on. My advice to you, Leo is get several pints (laughs) and I would, I would, I would drink heavily and uh, (laughs) eat, eat everything you can find. If you're, go- point. if you're going to pace, your- I don't know that I'd pace myself. I would pace, though. Uh, definitely pacing helps. And uh, McKinnon, I don't know whether you have any advice, parting advice for Leo. We, we
1: have we have something in Colorado, or we used to when I was growing up, called 3-2 beer, which is, of course, awful. And you, being a sophisticated beer drinker, would never drink this. But of it's only not. 3.2% alcohol, which means you could drink it if you were younger a time growing up in college, I think yet, yet you could be—I uh, don't know—sixteen or something.
3: As a as a true hack, I would say if you're going to go that route, then drink twice as much.
1: Well, oh yeah. Yeah, and you can drink twice as long is the key. And so I, I think this could go beyond election night. So I, I'm with Gibbs. Pace yourself.
3: Yeah, a week of drinking is a little excessive. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Leo's question conjures up any superstitions, anything you two did uh, on election, election day or election there's, there's night? There's one thing
1: that, I've always done on election day, at least when I was doing campaigns, was I would go see a movie because I was yeah. just so wound up. And there's nothing I could do as the ad guy at that point. you know. So I just I need to take my mind off it. I'd, I'd just go to a dark theater and watch a couple of movies.
3: I mean, that's a great idea because mostly what you do on election day is call everybody you know and say, well, what do you, here? What are you <laughs> yeah. hear? What do you hear? What do you hear? And it's a kind of... A big turnout
1: a, in Collin County. My
3: exactly. favorite is
2: when you heard something, you started three calls after you start <laughs> yeah.
3: making them, and it's just a big circle. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm looking forward to it, though. Um, I'm looking forward to it. This is a momentous election day, and uh, it's going to be a, one for the books. So...
1: All right, guys, I'll talk to you four years and uh, when we're talking about President Crenshaw. <laughs>
3: you, you got it. We ought to We ought to schedule that right now. A bold, <laughs> bold prediction. There All you go. Right. All right, boys. Thank you. Kick it hard. Carry on regardless. Gibbs and Murphy and I will be back on Monday with our final predictions. And unlike McKinnon, we have control of the recording and we can destroy it right after the campaign if it doesn't work out the right way. So we'll see you then.
2: McKinnon, thanks and travel safe.
3: Kick it hard. Thanks, guys. All right, boys.